Today, Randy is addressing the question, what is required for eternal life? A lot of things in life have requirements, right? Uh, recipes require certain ingredients, uh, cars have specific requirements necessary to pass safety tests, and different professions have different requirements as well, right? Well, we thought it would be fun to interview three unique professionals and find out the requirements necessary for them to do their job. The first professional we have is Dr. Vicki Bernard. Uh, she is an epidemiologist at the CDC. Hey, Vicki, thank you for being here. Thanks, sure. Uh, so, so what exactly does an epidemiologist at the CDC do? Sure, well an epidemiologist looks at patterns of disease or epidemics to determine who is getting the disease and why. Wow. Can you tell us uh, maybe a specific requirement necessary to be an epidemiologist at the CDC? Sure, so you, usually you would have to have a graduate degree. Mine is a PhD in epidemiology, and I've been fortunate enough to be with the CDC for almost 20 years. Wow, that's really awesome. Well, Vicki, thank you sure. so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you for coming in. Sure. Really appreciate it. Great. So next we have Greg McMichael. Uh, he's a World Series champion pitcher of the 1995 Atlanta Braves. Greg, how are you? Hi, Zane. Good to see you. So, um, Greg, uh, what's required to be a professional World Series pitcher? Well, typically we talk about three things. We talk about velocity, talk about movement we talk about location so you know when you're talking about a small strike zone you got to be close to that strike zone every time and you can't be in the middle of it you got to be on the outside of it all right and lastly we have Jeff Hopek uh, a US Secret Service federal officer White House branch who guarded President George W Bush so uh, Jeff welcome hey there. Uh, Thank you. I wouldn't assume there are too many requirements to guard the president is that correct <laughs> yeah that right that's correct now it, it my interview process alone was, uh, it was it was two years long right so they go all the way back in history to when you were in fifth and sixth grade and they don't just look for references because what do we do with references um, here talk to this teacher and that one well of course they were the ones that like you right they go back and they want to talk to every teacher and then on top of that is all the, the tactical shooting, the fighting in self-defense. Hmm. Probably the biggest piece of all of it is the actual fitness piece of it, right? So just the tests that you have to pass to get in, right? The pull-ups, the ability to run, sit-ups, wow. et cetera. You yeah. sound like Jason Bourne. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> He's on another level, actually. <laughs> wow, that's, 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 that's pretty incredible. All right, so all of these professionals require a certain element of perfection or expertise in their respective fields, right? Which, more than likely, none of us could ever achieve, even with hours upon hours of training. But what about eternal life? How do you attain that? Is it moral perfection or spiritual perfection? Can we exhaust hours upon hours of community service to attain it? Or what if we always pay it forward in every drive through line we go through? Or what if we handle every business transaction with the utmost integrity? That would make us morally perfect, right? Let's find out. So please give your attention to Randy Pope. Well, good morning once again, and this is the fifth and final week of our, of our forum, and glad to have you guys that are, are a part of it. Uh, I know that each week we have somebody that come in new and so forth, so I'm going to give a quick, quick, quick overview of where we've come. The, uh, the first week we talked about life satisfaction. In doing so, we we talked about uh, the possibility that Christ can be the satisfaction he claims to be. And uh, if so, how would you investigate? And so we set up the approach that I think is most helpful to help people investigate. And that's what this is, investigation. As we uh, do that, we want to talk about four primary questions. The first, the Bible. 
Uh, how can Christians believe the Bible is God's word? Uh, how can we believe that it is uh, uh, trustworthy and so forth? So we spent a week on that. Uh, the next question had to do with good people. How is it that good people could deserve eternal punishment, which is the, the, uh, the teaching of the Christian faith uh, all throughout Scripture? It is the teaching. And is that fair? Is it right? How can it be? So we address that and the subject matter of how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people. So we walked through that one. It led us to last week, which was the week on uh, who is Jesus Christ. Uh, the question, how could it be that one person, even Jesus, could be the one and only way to be able to find God and be in relationship with Him, which is a primary teaching of the Christian faith. So we wanted to walk through that one. Now we come to the final week, and the final week really addresses the biggest of all questions, which is if we found merit in questions one through three, to believe, well, there may be some merit to this Christian faith, maybe Jesus is who he claims to be, then we want to know this, what does Jesus say is required to have eternal life? And that's what we're, we're going to be uh, covering uh, right now. I'm going to begin with a, a, a diagram. This diagram I think says it about as well as, as I can, could ever uh, put it. And uh, I'm going to start here with a, a box that I'm going to just say God. And uh, everybody who is a theist, meaning they believe in the existence of a God, everyone who is a theist, I'm going to suggest, wants to know that when they die, that they're going to be liked by this God. Whoever this God is, whatever this God is like, we say, hey, if, if God, I want God to like me. So there's two ways to try to get into this relationship with God. And I'm going to put one box over here, and I'm going to put the word perform here. Performance or perform. And I'm going to draw a line from that box to God. All right? Now, in doing so, I do that because it is what we do and so I'm going to put this religion and give a name to it, and I'm going to call it do. It's the religion of do, what we do and what we don't do. We do because God will like us if we do it. We don't do it because God would not like us if we did do it. Now, this creates within us something that I'm going to call dash. There's a word that will precede this, but I'm going to put the word right here for righteousness. It creates in, in people a righteousness now, it's a certain type of righteousness because it's based on what we do or what we choose not to do, and therefore it's what we ourselves choose, and we'll call that then a self-righteousness, all right? Meaning that we created the righteousness in us, self-righteousness. Now, when you and I hear this word self-righteous, we immediately have a negative response, and we say, ah, oh, I hate self-righteous people. I want to suggest to you that we really don't dislike self-righteous people. What we really dislike are haughty, arrogant, self-righteous people. We don't care how people get good. We like good people. Call that righteous. And we love for our kids to play with righteous kids, right kids that don't do a lot of wrong things. But we, oh, we truly hate the, the haughty, arrogant type. Now, here is the interesting thing. If you were to use, I'll use an illustration here to understand why God is absolutely repulsed by self-righteous people. And I'm talking about 
the non-arrogant type, the not the haughty type, but he sees right in, and his whole ministry was focused on the people that were self-righteous. Now, by the way, we get an image of the scribes and the Pharisees, if you read the Bible, the image that they were all arrogant, uh, haughty people. And you do have some illustration of that, but that is not typical of all people that would be scribes and Pharisees. But Jesus seemed to lump them together and say, no, 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 it's the same problem. Here's the best way I can illustrate this. And I find this to be an interesting illustration because it's, a, it's a, a, about somebody who makes a commitment to uh, uh, their wife and then they get invited to Augusta National to play golf. And uh, they're, they're in this you know, pull of what to do. Three weeks ago, a week before the Masters, I got invited to play Augusta National after I'd made a commitment to my wife for that very day. And so this story came alive after I've been telling it all these years. So anyway, here's the way the story would go. Imagine that you're, uh, you're uh, at work, and uh, it's uh, early in the week, and, uh, or before work, early in the week, you're about to head out to work, and you have a discussion with your wife. Your wife comes up to you, and so this will be pointed to the men, but, but uh, your wife comes up and says, Honey, I want something really, really badly. Would you, would you commit to me one thing I want? And in a moment of temporary insanity without asking what, you say yes. And so after you've said yes, you say, what do you want? She says, I want one day of your life, just one day to do anything I choose to do. I'd like for it to be a Saturday. I'd like to, I'd like to start early in the morning and us get up and wallpaper the bathrooms of the house. And then at about noon, I'd like for us to, to get dressed up and so forth. I'd like to go to the mall and shop until they close at 10 o'clock at night. And you're thinking, that's the closest description of human hell I've ever heard. <laughs> and you're thinking, man, and I committed to this. But you say, she says, now, you committed. You're going to do this, right? And you say, yeah, I'll do that. And nothing's going to come up to, no, nothing, honey. I will give you that day. I, when, what, what Saturday do you want? And she says, I want it to be this Saturday. And so you think, well, I have nothing on Saturday. It's kind of a good golf day for me, but, you know, okay. You're at work that next day or two and kind of dreading this Saturday coming up and the phone rings at your best golfing buddy and he says, sit down, pal. You're not going to believe what's just happened for us. We've hit the big one. You're, what are you talking about? You and I have been invited to play Augusta National. I mean, the mecca of golf. We've been invited. You go, no way. When? And he says, Saturday noon. All we got to do is get to Augusta and it's ours to play this Saturday. And you're thinking, my wife, my commitment, what do I do? And in the silence, he says, you're going to play, aren't you? And you say, I would play if it killed me, thinking that may be self-prophetic. But anyway, <laughs> so now you're thinking, all right, got to figure out how I'm going to get out of this thing. And so as you're driving home uh, later the day, you thought, huh, you know what? I've never, ever bought my wife flowers, ever in my entire life. This would be a good time to start. So you go buy this beautiful thing of flowers. As you're going home, you think, well, you know what? The flowers are not enough. And so you buy this a very expensive necklace, and you've never done that before. You drive home, and your wife sees the flowers. She says, who are the flowers for, assuming they're not for her? Well, they're for you, honey. For me? Why? What's the occasion? <laughs> oh, honey, that's the point. There's no occasion. They've just been thinking all day how much I love you. Well, she's so excited, she runs up and gives you this big hug, and next thing... She says, this is the most memorable day of my life. I, I'll never forget this day. And you say, but that's the point, honey. Flowers die. 
I had to do something to express my love in a better way. So I got you this necklace, and when she sees the necklace, oh, she hugs you, she kisses you, she's jumping up and down, she's so excited, she just can't believe this is happening. And after a while, after she's been kind of floating around for a couple hours, you think, if now, ne never, let's give it a try. So you say, honey, you, you like the flowers, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love them. And the necklace, oh, we'll cherish it forever. Well, honey, there's something I like, too, I want to mention to you. Her head tilts with a little bit of suspicion. When you say golf, Augusta, and Saturday, she's so furious. She realizes what's going on. She takes those flowers, and she throws them in the garbage. She rips the necklace off her neck. She throws it at you and says, you repulse me. Now, what happened? Did she quit liking flowers? No. Did she quit liking a beautiful necklace? Expensive? No, not at all. What she saw was the motive behind the action. And see, here's what we do. God, I'll give you a little money. God, I'll give you some morality. Uh, God, I'll give you some religion. God, I'll give you, give you, give you. But the idea that, oh, God, that, by the way, there's something I want too. I want to be in good favor with you. And that's repulsive. It's the motive behind the action, not the action itself. So I'm going to put another box here. And this box is going to be the box we'll call grace. Now, grace is a word used to refer to God giving us what we do not deserve. It's used in human terms. When a human gives another human something they don't deserve, it's called a grace. Well, this is the grace of God. One way that people have often thought of it, God's riches at Christ's expense. So this is an era that's going to go from God because it's what He has done for us. So we're going to spell this religion, D-O-N-E, what He has done for us. Well, what has He done? It has to do that He has given us righteousness, so I'll put dash righteousness, but now this is Christ's righteousness that has been given to us. And so the whole story of the Christian faith is not that I perform my way into favor with God, but God actually gives me his righteousness and places it within me, and as we would say, covers the sin of our life so that God sees only his son's righteousness in us. Very similar to the first Adam and second Adam story that we talked about. So this is what he has done for us. Now, this is where some people have asked me, and said, oh, this is where you pray your prayer, walk down an aisle. Is that, well, not, no, not really. I have to put another box down here, and this box is going to be the box that I'm going to entitle love. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5, and it says that Christ's love for us compels us to obey or to perform. So the way I'd like for you to look at this is to think, asking the question, as you look at your own life now, where do you see your relating, if you're a theist, where does your relationship with God begin? Does it start over here, I'll put a dotted line, and does this go from here to here? Or does it start here and go all the way around? That's the righteousness of Christ in us. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you've had something done to you rather than you have performed certain actions that have allowed you to be in favor with God. So hopefully that, that would make a little sense to you there. If you look in your outline, you have an insert there. I'm going to suggest two beliefs that uh, all of this is wrapped under. It's, it's the beliefs that, number one, that we have a problem, and the problem is sin. It's the problem of sin. Um, 
two weeks ago, we talked about, what about good people? Do good people who are not Christians deserve to be separated from God? Well, we all deserve to be separated from God. It's the belief that that's the condition that I'm in. I have a sinful condition. So that's belief number one. The next week we talked about Jesus, which is the second belief. A person, in order to become a Christian, has to be able to say, I have a problem, it's called sin, and I believe the solution is the person of Jesus Christ. I think he is the answer. That's where I use the, uh, the illustration of, um, uh, uh, well, we talked about Jesus being the only way. Actually, there's a lot more illustration there, so we did that last week. So those two things, the belief in your own sin, the belief in Jesus as being the one way, to be able to in a relationship with God. That's the story of the Bible right there. Two beliefs. I thought that if a person believed those two things, that made them a Christian. That's why I spent several years understanding religion and involved in church, assuming I was a Christian because I believed those two things. They were not convictions necessarily. They were beliefs. They weren't convictions because they're beliefs that were handed to me by my family, by my culture, by my community, people around me. I believe that. But when I started investigating Christianity really to try to figure out am I one or am I not, what's this thing all about, I began to realize that, that these became convictions. And I remember thinking, now that I really do believe these for myself, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the only way to God. Does that make me a, does that make me a real follower of him? Doesn't that put me in an acceptance role with, with God? And then I realized that, no, there are two expressions of trust. And that this is very, very important. I want you all to understand this. Number one, faith. You remember the story of the tightrope and the wheelbarrow? That's where this would come in. It's not up here, I believe, but it's trust where I place myself in that belief and trust you because of that belief. That's what we're talking about, the first being faith. Now, there are people, I think, that are short-sighted on understanding the Christian faith because they hear that much faith and they say, oh, I think I have faith. But they fail to have the second expression of trust, and that is repentance. Now, repentance is a word that in the original language of Greek, where it's found in the Bible, it's the word metanueo. Meta, like we use the preface of metamorphosis. It has to do with change. But instead of metamorphosis, it has a word nuo, or the verb form of nous, which is mind. It's a change of mind. So this whole idea of repentance is where we come to a change of mind about the direction that we're going in life. Here's the best way I can illustrate it. Imagine that, that I'm walking down this road of life and I feel pretty good about where I'm going. I'm moving in this direction, headed this way. I feel pretty good about myself because as I am traveling with many other travelers, I have chosen to be in the right lane and not just right as against left, but in my mind, the right versus the wrong lane. And I feel very good because I'm moving in this direction. And I'm moving fairly fast. My lane happens to be the lane for moralists. It happens to be the, the lane for religious people. I feel good about that. 
I particularly feel good because I'm convinced that of all the religions, I've chosen the best religion, which I think is Christianity. So therefore, I'm moving along the road pretty good. What I've not understood is that there is a signage that I keep failing to see that says living life to one's own glory. Living life to one's own glory. And I look at that and I, I don't even see the sign. But I feel good about where I'm going. Well, the reality is there are people in the left lane and they're living immoral lives. They're living irreligious lives. But that's their expression to live life to their own glory. I have my own expression. It has to be morality and religion. And then something happens to me. This is something that cannot be explained. Scripture leaves it as, as often called in, in the years of theology call a mystical thing. It's a mystical union. It's what God does to us, and He comes into our hearts. He grabs us. He changes us. And in that moment when that happens, there is a shift, and I find myself now having turned. It's a change of mind. Now I find myself on a whole other road, and there are a lot there are travelers on this road, too, not near as many that were on that road, but there are travelers on this road, and, and some people are moving faster, some people moving slower, but they're moving in this direction. And if you look at the signage of this direction, it says, living life to the glory of God. Now, I know that there would be a number who, here, if it's typical, who are coming out of a Roman background or a Catholic background. And in that background, there is a teaching that's often... Now, I think being shown up to be not so, so appropriate, but it was the idea of penance. The idea of penance was if I take a step in this direction now, and I take another step, and I keep taking those steps, then I'm going to be forgiven, and that's my penance that I have to pay. No, this is repentance. It's totally different. It's the change of mind that says I'm moving in this direction. Some of us are moving slow. Some of us are moving faster. Some of us get into a particular position and something happens and we do this. And we fall back. We stumble a bit. But here's what cannot happen according to the Bible, if the Bible's accurate. You cannot turn around and go this way. You can't get back over here to go that way. It's a teaching in the scriptures that says once you become a Christian, you're really always a Christian. The question may be, did you ever become a Christian? But once you truly have become a Christian, though you can certainly struggle, you, you're, you're not going to ever turn and go the other way. All right? So, two expressions of trust. One is faith, the other repentance. Now, if you, uh, if you look at your outline, if you turn the page, the question is raised, how then does a person know if they really have become a Christian? I have a, uh, a little diagram I've used so many times. The diagram is one that I call the cloud of doubt. And here's the best way I can explain this. I won't put a line here representing the continuum of life moving from our left to right. I'm going to put a big, bold line here. This is a line that shows when a person actually has become a Christian. So I'm going to put not Christian here not Christian. I'm going to put Christian over here, all right? So, no, yes. I'm going to put a cloud in this area around that line, and I'm going to put four numbers. These represent four positions a person can be in. 
I'm going to suggest that every person here would be in one of these four, according to the Christian faith as we understand. Number one, this person says, I'm not a Christian, and I have no doubt about that. I'm very, very convinced I'm not a Christian. Maybe I don't want to be a Christian, or what I don't believe in it. Here would be the number one position. Number four, very simple. This is a person who says, hey, you know what? I know I'm a Christian. I have great confidence, and I have the right reasons to be confident. So this would be the number four, really a Christian, and they are convinced they are. The rest of people would be here in two and three who are assuming the Christian label. They could be in station number two and three, but they're in the cloud of doubt, meaning they can't figure out. They don't know for sure. In fact, this person, if asked, do you think you're a Christian? Whether they say yes or no, they're not sure, but they may say, well, if you had to guess, they say, well, yeah, I think I'm probably a Christian. And maybe they're not a Christian. Or it could be that, are you a Christian? And this person here who is a Christian says, I don't know, but I don't really think I am. I feel like maybe I'm not. And they really could be a Christian, and they not even realize it. So you could be in any of these four stations. Are you with me? Very important to understand that. So when you come to this area, and if some of you here are saying, you know, I, I don't really know. I can't, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe I am. I'm not sure I am. Well, you're in that cloud of doubt. I'm going to suggest to you, as you follow the outline, three tests. There are three tests given in the Bible, and these are found in a very short book toward the end of the New Testament called 1 John. If you'd like to read that little book, you'll see this. There are three tests, and it's the most repetitive book probably in the New Testament. It just repeats itself over and over and over. Three times it repeats the three tests. And here are the three tests to make it very, very simple. The first and all three tests have to be met in order to be a real Christian. Number one, there's an intellectual test. And that is, do you believe the truth about God? Now, the reality is, doesn't mean that you've come to the place you believe the Bible is inerrant, it's infallible. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the truth about Jesus, the truth about anything related to the good news of salvation. You would have to say, I embrace that. I truly believe that. Number two would be a social test. It has to do with the test of love. Of all the things in the Bible that express what real Christianity is, it says there's got to be love. A lot of people think it's the only one. It's not the only test, but it is a very important test. It's, the, it's the, uh, the test of love. The third is the moral test. The moral test is, do you follow the ways of God? Whenever you see someone who says, hey, I'm a follower, but I just, I don't, I don't follow what Jesus says here because I don't really agree. I don't like that, and I don't follow here, and I don't really, uh, you know, I, I kind of do my own moral thing, but, but I really am a follower of Jesus. Well, according to 1 John, that's not the story of a real follower. It would be those three tests as you would put them together. It doesn't mean that you, you pass the test to perfection. Nobody does. But those are the general guidelines to help a person understand, am I really in the family of God or am I not? So one other thing that might help you here is to tell you the story of uh, both my life and the story of my son's life uh, as it relates to this. My story 
I can remember when I came to grips to believing that I was a sinner, and that was not hard for me to believe. I had plenty of evidences that I was in a struggle. Number two, I really believed that Jesus was the way to God. Can't explain it, I just believed it. And I assumed for several years, I'm a Christian. I went to a, uh, a series of meetings that uh, it, was a, it was a big evangelistic type of program at a stadium, uh, our big high school stadium in my hometown. And I go to that uh, basically to support the Christians putting it on as part of their bigger picture team in my mind. And so I go and I'm sitting there and this incredible communicator of God's truth was, uh, was preaching or teaching that day. He was down on a platform in the middle of the stadium, and I'm up at the top of the, of the stadium. And, and uh, he says, let me ask you, and it's the end of his first night. He said, let me, uh, let me ask you all a question. How many of you believe, how many of you believe that, uh, that when you, uh, uh, no, first question was, um, how many of you here know that, uh, that when you die, you're going to heaven? Well, that appalled me when I heard that. I said, what in the world is he talking about? My church taught that you could be a Christian and lose your salvation. And, you know, how does a person know that when you die, how you're going to be living? And I thought, this is crazy. I, I didn't have any kind of assurance that I was a Christian. So I said, Nobody, nobody's going to raise their hand. And then I saw hundreds of hands go up. And I went, wow. And then he said this. He said, you know, according to the Bible in 1 John, this same book, he said, it says this, these things, those three tests, these things I've given to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I went, oh my goodness, people can know you have eternal life? I don't know that. And then he said this, if you don't know you have eternal life, it doesn't mean you don't. Remember station number three? You could be there thinking you're not. But he says, I'll tell you this. I would sure not want to have confidence that I was until I knew I had eternal life. Well, I'm telling you, that rocked my little world sitting right there. I went, oh, my, you mean it's a possibility that I'm not a real Christian? Oh, no. And then he said this. He said, I'm going to invite you who would like to know. I'm going to invite you to walk down to the center of the town, to the center of the football field in front of the platform, and, and I'd like to lead you in a prayer and uh, to receive Jesus. Well, let me tell you, I'm not the hand raiser, so I'm not the one that wanted to raise my hand. But I know this, when he said, how many of you would like to know you have eternal life, raise your hand? In the whole crowd, I know my hand went up like this. I go, ooh, I'm not a hand raiser. Look at that, ooh. Then he said, I want to ask you to come walk down. I said, let me tell you, I may raise my hand, but I'm not walking, I'll never be an aisle walker. That's not what I do. And I just sat there the whole time. I didn't budge. And he got everybody down there, and he prayed a prayer. I listened to his prayer. You know what his prayer was? Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I admit that now you are the only way to God. And three, Lord, I want to invite you to take lordship of my life. I heard that third piece. I went, what? Lordship of my life? Wow. So I said, all right, I'm not going to walk down the aisle, but I'm going to do it better. I'm going to go at home, and I'm going to get on my knees. I was pretty proud of getting on my knees. I thought that was big. 
I had to counterbalance not walking the aisle in my mind. So I, I go home and I remember getting down by my bed and I said, Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. You know that. I believe you died for me. I, I really believe you're the only way to, to, you know, he's the only way to get to you. And now, Lord, I'm going to do for the first time, I'm going to invite you to take control of my life and I surrender my heart to you. Amen. I remember I looked up and I went, hmm, didn't work. Didn't happen. Hmm. So I said, maybe I missed something. So I go the second night, I listen. Same thing at the very end. Nothing different. Three things. So I'm not walking the aisle, so I go home and I get on my knees again. And I said, maybe, Lord, this is like a vaccination. I, I had to have a second vaccination. And maybe this is what, you know, sometimes they don't take. I don't know. So my prayer, maybe it'll take this time. And I prayed my prayer. I said, amen. I looked up and I went, huh, it didn't work. I did this like three or four nights in a row until finally it's the last night. I'm sitting there, and the whole night, all I can do is stare at that aisle. And I'm saying, you must have to walk that aisle for this to work. I said, man, I don't want to walk that aisle, but I don't want to go to hell. Mm, I better. So I swallowed hard, and I walked the aisle. I got down there, and I had a counselor for everybody to kind of talk to them and all before. And uh, so the main guy spoke first, and he's talking to all of us standing there. And he said, I'd like to lead in a prayer. I bowed my head. And I said, okay, okay, I'll pray a prayer. Maybe his prayer will work for me. And so I prayed the prayer silently as he prayed it out loud. I was sincere about it. I turned over. As soon as I said amen, I looked up and I went, shoot, it doesn't even work down here. And so the counselor said something to me. I turned around and I said, look, I, I just need to let you know what this guy's doing is not working. That looks at me and says, what do you mean? I said, well, I prayed it four times at home on my knees and I did it once with him and it just didn't do anything for me. He looked at me and he said, do you understand this is something that has to do with faith? And I said, well, I, I, I kind of understand that. You know, it, does, it has nothing to do with how you feel or what you see or what you smell. And, you know, it has to do with trusting him. I said, yeah. He said, why don't you do this? Why don't you go home and thank God? Assuming he's come into your life by faith. And he said, but the way you'll know whether he did or not, this is the greatest advice I had ever heard. He said, the way you will know is you will have a sense of assurance over the next two weeks, a month, month and a half, you're going to see something changing in your life. And you're going to sense God at work. And that's what's going to be the things that will help you believe that you really are a different person. If after two weeks, month, month and a half, you don't see any changes in your life at all, well, why don't you assume that maybe he didn't come into your life? Because maybe your heart wasn't surrendered. Wow. That was interesting for me to hear that. Now, for me, it did happen that the next two weeks, month, month and a half, my life began to change. I began to see things. Like, Good night. Look at the way I'm thinking now. Look what I'm believing. Look how I'm trying to, wow, God. And, and I, I became convinced by my change of life that I must be one of his followers. And now that's gone on for years and years and years. All right? Now, my son's story. My son's story, I have two boys and two girls. My youngest is what I'm talking about now, my, my son, who's named David. David does not mind me using his story. David was a good boy. Uh, I'm growing up, and I so, and he's 33 now and, and married with children and so forth. But this is back when he was in his high school days. And uh, he was such a good, moral, fine young man. And I just, man, we were so close relationally. And he always wanted his dad, who's a preacher, to take him once a week to breakfast to talk about the Bible and pray together. I thought, how good is that? However, we'd done it for several years now. He always wanted to do it. I never pushed him. 
But I could just sense there was nothing in his heart that gave me an evidence that I thought I see a spiritual life in him. And so one day we're sitting there and we're talking and he says, hey, dad, you need to pray for me. I said, buddy, I pray for you every day. He said, no, dad, what I mean is you need to really, really pray for me. I said, well, what do you mean really pray? He said, well, dad, I'm doing some pretty bad stuff right now. I said, like what? I'm getting drunk so much. I've had alcohol poisoning enough time. My friends literally thought I would die through the night because I wouldn't allow them to take me to the hospital. But uh, I've just been drinking a whole lot. I said, really? I didn't know that. I said, what? And then he says, and by the way, Dad, I'm doing everything there is wrong with girls. I mean, I'm just doing, I'm just doing everything you shouldn't be doing. And he goes on, and I go, really? I didn't know that. And when he says, and also, Dad, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, let's just stop right there, okay? Uh, some things Dad don't need to know. Everything, you know? Just. So I look at him, and I say, well, let me ask you this question. What's the deal? What's going on? He said, here's the deal, Dad. I don't want God. I said, you don't want God? He said, no. He said, I don't want you to mishear me because I really want to want God. I just don't want Him. I want party. I want fun. I want ex I, I'm having a good time. And I know what that's going to do to me down the road because I, I believe, I understand that. I, and this is going to destroy me. I know that. So that's why I'm asking for you to pray for me. Pray that I would want it and that I would actually want to want it. And I go, oh, okay. So I said, let me ask you a question. David, are you, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Let me tell you, the big old boy, 6'2 guy, and he's... He, he looks up and he comes up off the table. He says, what? What do you mean am I a Christian? Dad, you know I'm a Christian. I said, oh, I do? How do I know you're a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? And this was his response to me. He said, Dad, because I know when I was such and such an age, I was so and so a person, and I remember I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, and I know that I was sincere when I did it. I looked at him straight in the face. I did not say one word. I just made a noise. Aggravated him to death. I looked at him and I went, eh. He said, what is that? I said, oh, it's the buzzer. That means you got the wrong answer. What do you mean? I said, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that ever looks back to an experience, that looks back to an event to determine if someone is a Christian today. It always has to do with present tense, and it has to do with fruit, which means the evidences that there's change in your life. I don't see a change in your life. And I, don't, I don't hear you talking about change in your life. And then he looked at me and said, Dad, I don't care what you say. I am a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I said, that's your business, buddy. You know, go about it. Well, he goes on to, to Georgia. From graduates, goes to the University of Georgia. He's in his second year. He's home for Christmas. Nothing has really changed. He's doing his parties, doing his stuff, doing his thing. I don't see any change. Still a sweet boy and lovable, you know, great kid otherwise. But he comes down the steps one night. I'm sitting there in the living area. He says, hey, Dad, you were right. I said, right about what? I had no idea what he was talking about. Right about what? You remember when you told me four years or so ago that I wasn't a Christian? I said, yeah. He said, let me tell you, you were right. I said, oh, really? What makes you say that now? He said, because I've just recently become a Christian, and now I know the difference. You know, there's a scripture that says, 
of Jesus speaking say, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Not that you lost it. You never did have it. So there's that question of whether we really legitimate or not. The evidence is here very important to understand. I just think so many people have been misled by a prayer to receive Jesus. Hey, I invite people to pray to receive Jesus. I'll invite you to do that if you're a seeker. But I want you to always view it as a ceremony. Do you understand a ceremony? A ceremony celebrates what you're convinced is true. And the truth is that you're in love if it's a marriage ceremony. And it's when you're in love that you come into relationship. And the ceremony, very important. But it is to document what you believe is already true. If somebody says, hey, I, uh, I actually go to the ceremony so I'll fall in love with my wife, my husband. No, don't go to the ceremony to make that happen. That happens outside the ceremony. But the ceremony is a great way to mark what is true, right? So those are the things that I think important to kind of understand about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I'm not going to walk through the questions, uh, never do, on this last uh, uh, series of questions. They're pretty much repetitive. They have a lot to do with things we've talked about, the resurrection. This is the very end of Jesus' life recorded in the book of John. As we do our Q&A now, uh, you will be free to ask any questions out of the Gospel of John, those that maybe I haven't covered that you'd like to ask, feel free. Uh, we're going to do this the way we've always done it. I always need to repeat this. This is a time only for those who are seekers. All right? I know we've got many that are inviting people to come here and so forth. Some are just in here uh, trying to, to learn a little bit. But this is for our seeking community only. So uh, we have two options. You can ask it from the uh, floor live. Love to take the questions. Uh, then at the same time, we, you can go uh, put them by text or email. You can certainly go there anytime, and you can find those uh, questions put up on the screen. We'll put them up, all right? So that's kind of how we, we start it. I'm going to flip it around this time. I'm going to assume that maybe we have. Do we have any questions already come, that have come in? Okay. I'm going to start with one of the questions, and you'd be thinking if you'd like to ask a question, I'll come to you next, all right? So give you a little time to think if you have something you'd like to ask. And I'm going to say this too, this thing does not need to go an hour. You know, we can stop anytime. I'm not here to accomplish that. I'm here to answer your questions. And if we don't have questions, that's okay. It doesn't mean it's a bad forum. We just, I just want to answer the questions that you would like to ask. So let's uh, put one up here. Why did God create so many people knowing that they will not accept Jesus and therefore spend eternity in hell? You know, we addressed that in one week back on, on week number two uh, a bit, but let me kind of relap this one because that's a very important question. It's one that, that uh, you would look at the mind of God and say, why God? Let me remind you that when you ask why, you, anytime God is associated with the word why, I'm going to suggest if you want to follow the Bible, and I'm here not to convince you that it's right, I'm here to give you evidences of what Scripture says and let you make that decision. All right, that's, that's your call. I'm just trying to tell you from a Christian perspective. But it is true that the reason that God does all things, remember, for what reason? Anybody remember? Why does God do any and everything he does? It's for his own glory. Glad we're reviewing this. For his own glory. I worked through a scenario that I could tell you a logical plan as to why 
it would bring God far more glory to have people that do accept him and those that don't. I can come up with a scenario like that. At the same time, whenever you put why with the word God, you've got to keep in mind, you remember the dot? You remember the dot on the, on the, uh, the circle? That, that, by the way, you can go back and see any of this. You can go back to perimeter.org slash if answers. And you realize that, hey, remember the, the idea was you've got, you've got that board representing the knowledge of God. You've got this circle representing the knowledge of, of mankind all accumulated. Uh, his knowledge is infinite. It goes forever and ever. This board would go forever and ever if we use the board to represent God. This will be the knowledge of, of, of all mankind. And we said, man, what an understatement. You couldn't see a dot in comparison to this board that goes forever and ever in every direction because our knowledge is finite. His is infinite, all right, according to the Christian faith. Therefore, that circle the guy put in there, just a whole big portion of that circle representing the most brilliant human that's ever lived, most knowledge compared to all the knowledge of the world, well, that's way overstated. You couldn't see a dot compared to one person out of all accumulated knowledge. And then that one certain dot in the middle that uh, represented my, the fellow talking to me, that's your knowledge, Randy, compared. And then you erase, you know, all that except for the dot is left there. And then you say, here's all eternity, goes forever and ever. Is it possible that things are out here that you could never, ever understand? Absolutely. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse in the Bible that actually says that there are things hidden from our understanding. So in light of all of that, I would simply say God knew that the greatest way for him to find glory is to have a people of freedom of choice who can choose do they want God, do they not. And that would bring him far greater glory ultimately because people would not receive him than by him showing grace, favor that was unmerited, Man, what glory we give to God when we realize, God, you let me be your child. You covered me with your righteousness, and I didn't earn any bit of it. That gives God the greater glory. And so if he does do all things for his glory, what an ingenious plan. Now, but it meant people, parent, it meant, it meant, I don't understand. And I'll stop there and say, I don't know. But I think until a person can stand before God and say, God, I don't have to understand your ways. I know many of your ways that you make known, but I don't understand them all, and I don't understand them all. So I'd have to leave, leave a short on that one, just say that's as, about as good as I could do. Let's take the floor. Anybody uh, have a question you'd like to raise your hand? Love to take one if you got one. I don't see one. All right. Do we have any more up here? All right, we're trying to get one up. This group has less questions than most of our forums. We usually have a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. So everyone's different. Right here, okay, good. Got one here. Our way. I was born and raised Catholic. Uh-huh. And um, uh, as I've gotten older, into my teenager, early years, I pulled back from the Catholic Faith for several reasons that they, you know. But one of the things that I've held on to in that faith is I believe, or I was raised to believe, that it was okay to ask Mary, the mother of God, to pray for us. Mm -hmm. How does the 
how does that fit into your thinking of Christianity? Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, uh, my name is Pope. I do not want to put down the Catholic Church. You understand that, don't you? Okay. <laughs> I have closer ties than you do. I have the name. Anyway, good question. You know, the, uh, the teaching of the Catholic Church. Preface this. The reason I really want to know for sure uh-huh. is my granddaughters are worried about me not being a Christian because I don't pray to Mary. I right. ask Mary to pray for us. Well, and I want I, I my like granddaughters to be assured I'm okay. I, well, I want, <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I want us all to be sure. Um, I think it's important to understand that the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, uh, there are a lot of similarities of belief. There are differences of beliefs. And uh, I was on an airplane uh, sitting next to a man and uh, started talking to him. And he says, uh, he says, he's a priest. And I said, oh, really? I didn't tell him I was a preacher. And uh, didn't even give him my name because he was from Atlanta. I didn't know if he might know. And he says, uh, uh, I started talking to him. I said, I'd like to ask you a question. I, I'm a Protestant, and I'm a part of a Protestant church. And I know the Catholics and Protestants have differences. I'd love to know, uh, what do you see as the primary differences? As a priest, what, what do you see as the primary differences? And I so appreciated his answer. And I think it was right on target. He said, oh, the basic difference in our, in our church is that you people would believe that all truth is found in God's Word. And we believe it's found in God's Word plus. There's the difference. And I said, you know, that's kind of what I've understood pretty much. That's, that's helpful to hear you say that. And the plus, he went on to say, is the Pope can declare something to be true. A council can, they have all these different ways to, and they can add to those things that are required. And they're held up to be as equal truth. And see, the, the, the Christian church historically has now taken exception of that main issue, saying we think it's found here. It's not found in what a person says. It has to be rooted in the Scriptures. And that's why there would be a difference. That is not in Scripture. That is extra. And so if you believe in the extra, then okay, so be it. I don't believe Christian, the Christian faith, which I'm just trying to represent, does not believe that you can go to outside of what the Bible has said, and, and that's it. So that would be the main reason, all right? So if you have never prayed to Mary, the point being if you're a seeker and you've never prayed to Mary, you're not in a problem according to the Christian faith. It would be no problem at all, okay? Good. Got another one up here? All right, let's put up another one. Earlier today, you mentioned that you can be a Christian, but then backtrack on that path, but you're still a Christian. I'm confused because after the story about your son, you said the Bible teaches that whether you're a Christian or not has to do with what you're, uh, with what you're doing right now. Doesn't that contradict itself? Very good, and I can see how that would sound very contradictory. No, what I'm saying is this. Uh, the fruit of evidence of being a Christian is going to be found in a person's life in the present. Here's the interesting thing, though. When I say fruit, evidences, life, style, and so forth, is this. Do you know that you could have fruit in your life that is so hidden that 
a person could never see it, and you might not even see it yourself. I'll give you a classic illustration. I had explained to two men in college when I was at Alabama. There was, I was working among the athletes at Alabama with uh, uh, helping them understand the Christian faith and talking to a lot of them. And, and there were two men that were, were uh, athletes there that, that were really opposed to Christianity. And I'd been meeting with them and helping them investigate Christianity, and they both, about the same time, came into a, a, a real life transformation. They, they wanted to embrace Christ. They did the ceremony, assuming that it was a genuine ceremony. As I often say, you never know if it's genuine until there's time afterwards to tell. And, and so this was in that time afterwards. And for a season, both of them seemed to be rolling strong toward the faith, seemed to be walking down you know, the pathway going pretty strong. And, uh, and then both of them all of a sudden regressed so quickly, so badly, that I was like, whoa, what has happened? And so I, I go to talk to both of them, different time. I go to the first one, and, and the first one was, uh, I, I, told, I said, Look, what's going on? He said, well, you know what? I gave this Christianity a shot. It didn't give me what I wanted. I don't care about it. I'm through with it. Who cares? But, and his life showed he didn't care. And I said to him, as graciously as I can, just to understand the Christian faith, which is what I've been helping you do, know this, that according to that same Christian faith, you should not assume that you're a real Christian, even though you had an experience that kind of indicated you wanted to become a Christian and invited God to come in your life and all that. I'm going to suggest that you not assume, therefore, it's genuine or real. I go see the second guy. I knock on his door, and even though it was in the athletic dorm, how they got away with it, I don't know, but I could smell the, the, uh, the drugs, the, the pot and all, just from the outside of the room. And they were having a party in the room. And uh, so this guy, it was his room. He comes to the door and kind of put the door behind him not to see, and he says, what are you doing here? I said, oddly enough, I came at a bad time, but I was just wanting to talk to you about where you are and what's going on with you. And he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you came to knock on my door. He said, thank you for knocking on my door. And would you do me a favor? Would you keep knocking on my door? Would you just not stop? Because, man, I'm, some of the things I've been a part of, I'm, I'm still finding so attractive, and I slip, and I make, and I'm there right now, tonight. That's what I'm doing. And, boy, I, I hate where I am, but I'm, I'm struggling. And I, I said to him, I said, well, you know this. It'll be as you watch your, your life is how you're going to determine how genuine it is. But I'll tell you, at the same time, I walked away thinking, I think that man's a real Christian. Do you know that one of the fruits of being a Christian is great hatred for the sin you fall back in? And I saw that evidence in his life. I thought, hmm, this might be a real follower of Jesus. Who knows? Time will tell. I don't know. We don't often know ourselves. So I think it's very important. I use a good illustration. Think about this. I think when I die, Let's say that I prayed the prayer when I was on, on August 26th, 19-whatever. I'll just throw that date out. I think what's going to happen is when I get to heaven, I may say something like this to God. God, thank you that on August the 26th, 19-whatever, that you came into my life. Thank you so much. And he may well say to me, you know what, Randy? It wasn't August the 26th. I say, it wasn't. No. It was actually June the 19th 
And I go, June the 19th. Well, I don't remember. He said, no, no, you wouldn't remember that. But you know what? That's when your heart really fell in love with me. And you prayed the prayer a little after that time, and that was a wonderful ceremony. I was honored by that ceremony. But you actually became a Christian before that ceremony. Oh, that's why you could have the ceremony, because you really had. Or I might say, thank you, on August 26th. And he says, you know, Randy, it wasn't August 26th. It was the next November the 4th. And I go, November the 4th? What happened? You wouldn't remember any event. But after you had assumed, because you did the ceremony, that you'd become a Christian, you started getting into a little Bible study. You remember the people I put around you, and they began to help you understand the Christian faith. And you know what? As you got more and more in Scripture, do you know what was on that November the 4th? You fell in love with me. And that's when your heart was changed. That's when your life was covered by the righteousness of your Savior, Jesus. And I go, oh, really? I didn't even know. Yeah, it actually happened after your ceremony. So the ceremony, important, but it's the fruit that comes afterwards that really gives evidence of whether it's genuine or not. That does not mean that the evidence may not be, I hate my sin that I'm falling back into. So whoever gave that question, oh, that was a good one. Uh, any other question here? Any more up here? All right, we're good. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed uh, and benefited from this time more, more than enjoyed it. I hope you benefited from it. And, and again, if you walk away just understanding the historic Christian faith in a better way, then it was a success as far as I'm concerned. It's your call how you want to take that information. And I'm suggesting to anybody that I meet with doing this on an individual basis, always go back to this. We're trying to make the decision, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Or is he not? If you think, right or wrong, that he is, I'd pursue him with all my life. If you've come to a conclusion based on the intellectual pursuit you've made that he is not who he claimed to be, then dispose of anything that has to do with him. I would. So I think that's the logic behind this approach, and I'm just hopeful that you were able to benefit in better making that conclusion by being here. Uh, many of you are at a point where you're saying, I'm still trying to understand and figure this out. I'm in this, don't, don't leave me here. We do not want to leave you, just kind of hanging. And so if you look at back, there's a guy raving his hand right now, Jamie, back there in the back. Um, Jamie will be with a few people there, men and women that are going to be available. If you would like to connect, if you'd like to have lunch, uh, you know, here in the atrium, uh, we'd be happy to do that or set, schedule another time. But they're here just to help and continue the process. There's a number of things coming up. Uh, I don't, are these in the bulletin insert or not? They are. If you look in your insert, uh, you will see there that there's a number of uh, opportunities upcoming. Um, one I just mentioned today, meeting with somebody. There's also a thing that I do called Taste of Perimeter. And uh, it, it's a time to learn a little bit about the family here. And maybe you would think I'd like to investigate further here, but I'd like to know a little bit more about this church. And so uh, on, all, on June the 10th at 5 o'clock, right, right across the hall from us, when you walk out straight ahead, there's a fellowship hall there, and there'll be a few hundred people there that meet for dinner. It's a covered dish. You don't have to bring something, but most do. And, um, and I'll share a bit of the story to help you understand this place, if it would be a place you'd like to continue to investigate. It's a lot of fun. It's, I just tell the story of the first few months of Perimeter, and it is an inspirational time that helps you really get to know uh, who we are. So that's available as well. There's also um, Essentials of Faith, which meets uh, on a consecutive Sundays starting May the 10th. And you'll find that there at 1045. It goes to 12. 
where it meets, and, the, and the, you can find that. It's just a way to pick up here and go a little further in a very smaller group uh, setting. So we'd be happy to offer that to you. And then we also have the book that I've written that has put a lot of the things that you've heard and a lot of other things certainly as well in this little book called The Answer. It's very short, less than 100 pages. The chapters are about three to four pages each. It's an easy but very helpful read to help stimulate you on a lot of the things. This is what I share over lunch when I'm with people. I couldn't do it all with you, but, uh, but you'll find that to be a recap and more. Uh, one per family, but then this is for only our seeking folks as well. Feel free to pick one of those up. And then there's a card in your seat if uh, you'd like to give us any feedback. Don't feel you need to, but if you'd like to give us any feedback, we'd certainly love that of how we can make this better for uh, people coming in the future. So um, know that that's available too. Um, and if you, if you sign your name on that, which you don't have to, but if you do, that'll tell us uh, you would like to, uh, to be informed when the next Taste of Perimeter, the next Essentials of Faith, maybe you can't do those. You'd like to catch a one coming up next. We'd be happy to do that. I just hope you hear this. Our goal is not to ram you into this church, get you part of our, get your money, get your, that's not it. We just want to help you. It really is. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And so we're not going to put you on any mailing list or anything like that. This is certainly just to respond to your request. So uh, hopefully that's been helpful. All right. If you don't mind, if you'll allow me to pray one more time, and I'll dismiss this with that prayer. Father, thank you for the time we've had here, and, and I'm grateful that uh, this time has, has uh, uh, been a story that some have already shared. has been meaningful. I pray it would be meaningful to many. And so bless us from here. Show us where to go from here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for being a part.